Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Your Critically Acclaimed, the podcast where you're critically acclaimed. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibs, and oh my goodness, the cat is running around like a madman. <laughs> <laughs> The cat of the Baskervilles. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I too am. Oh, jeez, uh, I too am a critic. Do we need to start over? No. <laughs> my name is Whitney Seibold. I too am a critic, and yeah, welcome back to your critically acclaimed, our sponsored show. Yeah. The one where you get to choose the topic. Yeah. Uh, over on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/criticallyacclaimed-network. Uh, our patrons at the highest tier have the power to force us to make a podcast about anything they want, really, within reason. There are some limitations, but it's pretty much a rubber stamp. Um, and uh, this time, we are very, very excited to talk about one of the most important fictional characters of the last really, more than 100 years now. Yeah. Um, influential, uh, uh, trend-setting, uh, really gets the cat excited. And uh, th- they rather notoriously, we're talking about a character who, uh, according to the Guinness Book of World Records has been adapted to film more than any other character. I, I think... Um, I love that. Let me say, say Guinness Book of World Records. Ding! Yeah, <laughs> I'm correct. Um, I forgot who was second, if it was, but I know second and third are, are either Dracula and Tarzan. I, I think, think are, it, are somewhere in there. I feel like they used to be neck and neck, but mm. they just stopped making as many Tarzans That's as true. they used to. Tarzan... <clears throat> okay, so all of those characters are now, I think, in relative degrees of public domain. Um mm. But uh, Sherlock Holmes, of course, is a... Thank you, Luca. He's he's full of beans. He's doing parkour this evening. Uh, Sherlock Holmes is, of course, a celebrated uh, famous detective, a freelance detective, a consulting detective, uh, who is unabashedly genius in every conceivable way, incredibly observant, but also kind of a dick. And that's something that has always been part of the character. He's Mm -hmm. sort of disassociated from humanity. Um, Dracula? Also separate from humanity, except he's a demon. He's a creature of the shadows yeah, uh, who sucks our blood and seduces. Just, yeah, you wouldn't describe him as kind of a dick. He's a mo- literal no, monster. He's a monster, but in some respects, he's a sympathetic monster. We mm. understand how he became who he is and why he is the way he is. And Tarzan is also an outsider. Tarzan, of course, was raised um, in the jungle alone, uh, raised by animals, and um, uh, became a, a relatively uh, fucked up colonialist racist fantasy but we talked about that on a recent episode of uh, episode zero when we talked about tarzan the ape man and tarzan and his mate Uh, i feel like tarzan has gone largely out of fashion whereas dracula still pretty effective and people still love detectives don't they yeah and Um, uh, sherlock holmes keeps coming back yep we keep coming like you can reinterpret sherlock holmes all you like there's something about the character that uh it just keeps alluring us, mm-hmm. uh, and it's the fact that uh, a I think just he's very good at his job. Always he's, he's incredibly intelligent, and maybe we kind of admire the fact that he doesn't need to worry about the niceties of polite society. There's something kind of liberating about someone who is so observant, who is so intelligent, who is so good at what they do that they can get away with being kind of a jerk. But it, it helps because, that he's because he's, the well, yeah. and, and in, in a weird way. In the Sherlock Holmes stories, anyway, it feels uh, a little bit justified. He thinks it's justified at the very least Mm. because he's so smart. uh, And this is especially true in the Johnny Lee Miller rendition of the character. Mm -hmm. He thinks he's better than other people. Yeah. He's, he is above the rest of humanity because he's so intelligent. Well, I think I think there are a lot of different versions that are like that. And but he is using his intelligence to 
fight crime mm. and stop murderers from murdering people. So he feels like he should get a pass, basically. Mm. Um, we, on this podcast, uh, have been asked by our listener, Eric Fusco, hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, to compare and contrast three recent renditions of Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes is a character who has been uh, rebooted, remade, recast, reimagined many, many times over. But lately we've had three incredibly successful interpretations of the character who have, to varying degrees, attempted to bring him to the modern day. If not literally in time by setting him in the present, mm -hmm. then at the very least uh, uh, attract a modern sensibility yeah. uh, in, in the audience. Um, so we are going to be talking about the 2009 feature film Sherlock Holmes, starring Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law as Sherlock Holmes and Watson, respectively. We are going to be talking about the first episode or first TV movie of the BBC series Sherlock, starring Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman as Sherlock Holmes and Watson. But set in modern day. But set in modern day. And then we're going to be watching the first episode of the concurrent, it was on at the same time, American television series Elementary, which starred Johnny Lee Miller, probably best known from Hackers and Trainspotting, as a contemporary Sherlock Holmes in New York City with Watson, now played by Lucy Liu. Uh, these and are... their relationship was uh, completely reimagined for that one. Well, I guess, I guess in, all, all, in all three of them. But yeah, yeah, and we're going to talk about how each of these stories attempts to reintroduce Sherlock Holmes in their own way, tries to focus on different elements of the story in their own way, but also have a lot of parallels. Mm. And uh, we're going to focus on the comparisons and contrasts over time. Uh, we've decided that we're going to do this kind of the way we usually do things, which is just sort of look at it in chronological order. Mm. So we're going to start with the 2009 adaptation, Sherlock Holmes. I have a request. Someone I want to see. Sherlock Holmes. You and I are bound together on a journey that will twist the very fabric of nature. Allow me to enlighten you. Tomorrow, the world as you know it will end. Well, there isn't any time to waste then. Is there? It does make a considerable difference to me having someone with me on whom I can thoroughly rely. Oh, it's nice to see you. So this is coming right on the heels of Iron Man. Robert Downey Jr. had been in the 90s a very big deal actor. He was nominated for Academy Award for Chaplin. People knew he was super talented, very, very charming. But he was also an actor who struggled with substance abuse. He was in the tabloids a lot. And by the late... Rather, rather infamously to the point where he couldn't get a lot of work in yeah. the late 90s. By the late 90s, he was he went from headlining major motion pictures. He worked his way up in smaller roles in the 80s. But by the late 90s, he had gone from having major roles in motion pictures, Academy Award nominated, well-respected, to struggling to get supporting work. Mm -hmm. And then after cleaning up his image, cleaning up, you know, his he he had had a couple of fits and starts where he had attempted to uh, sort of to reinvigorate to, his career. Well, and also go to rehab. Well, that's when he yeah. went to rehab. He tried to reinvigorate his career. He did a stint on the hit TV series Ally McBeal, 
which was at at the time considered like, oh, Robert Downey Jr. is back. This is great. And then he had to go back to rehab. So people weren't taking a risk on Robert Downey Jr. Until John Favreau and Marvel Studios decided to cast him as Iron Man. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on so Iron he, Man, he but he I think it's important to get the, the yeah. baseline here. He was a risk. He wasn't, but he was he wasn't also, a get yet. No, yeah. that was a major risk for that movie. It was a it was a considered a B or C tier superhero mm. character mm. who not a lot of people knew a lot about, and they were gambling on the star power of someone who, for all intents and purposes, had none. Mm. But and, what he and, and there wasn't an MCU yet. No. There was no plan. It was no, just there was no connection. One single fun movie. Yeah. That was all they were hoping for. But Robert Downey Jr. is perfectly cast because what Robert Downey Jr. does, arguably better than any other actor of his generation, is play brilliant lovable cads yeah Yeah. he's a brilliant lovable asshole (laughs) he somehow manages to be an asshole but you love him because Mm. in deep down you know he does the right thing and he's brilliant Mm. and there's not a lot of actors who can pull that off without making it seem cynical or or i don't know he's just he nailed it he nailed Mm. iron man and all of a sudden his career's got a big resurgence and what's he going to follow it up with? And he picked a smart play, which is playing basically Iron Man without the suit of armor. And that's kind <laughs> of his take on Sherlock Holmes. He's not rich, but he's a lovable genius asshole. Mm. And that works. No, it doesn't it's work a... when you're playing Dr. Doolittle, unfortunately. No, <laughs> not so much. Well, actually, I don't, think, I don't think that was the problem with Dr. Doolittle because he and Dr. Doolittle, he wasn't a dick. He, he was he was so well. I could I couldn't tell. I couldn't understand what he was doing with that weird Welsh accent he was trying to put on. That was um, weird. My point is that character just didn't have a strong enough personality, which yeah. is weird when you get Robert Downey Jr. involved. Yeah, uh, this is a Guy Ritchie film, and boy, howdy, is it ever a Guy Ritchie <laughs> film? Uh, Guy Ritchie is like, what if a cup of testosterone directed a film? Um, he reimagined uh, Sherlock Holmes as sort of an action spectacular. Yeah, uh, where it's like this this steampunk uh, story about a lot of machinations throughout the London underground and restaged as this big sort of murder mystery drama, which, uh, with supernatural elements or potentially supernatural elements. Yeah. So it's, so Guy Ritchie had come off of a series of films. He had actually broken into the public consciousness with a very good, very energetic, uh, sort of tough guy crime movie called Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, which is, just as fun as ever, damn it. <laughs> that, movie's, that movie is a hoot. And he followed up with Snatch, which is basically Lock, Stock, and Do Smoking Barrels again. And he ended up trying to break out of that mold, but eventually he realized that people just kind of want him to be Guy Ritchie. And so what he started to do was he started to Guy Ritchie up other things. He started to become sort of, much like Tim Burton, you give mm. him any project and he'll Tim Burtonize it. Mm. Guy Ritchie is like that too, except with Aladdin, which I don't know what happened there, but that's the least Guy Ritchie movie he's ever made, and I've seen swept away. Like it's <laughs> I don't understand like what Guy Ritchie made that. It's mm-hmm. not that's not the worst thing ever, but like that one's a weird aberration. Guy Ritchie likes to take mythological types of characters, in particular I'm thinking of Sherlock and later on King, King Arthur, Arthur, Legend of the yeah. Sword, and say, hey, what if this classic character everybody knows and loves was like a street tough? Just like, in a, like the well, you, uh, that's kind of his whole stick. Sort of like a a, a bloke, a logger yeah. loud. He makes bloke movies. Yeah. Um, they drink, they gamble, yeah. they fight. 
And in in King Arthur, it's a little different because they're not very bright in that movie. They're like jocks. It's like, yeah, uh, the, the, the last line of dialogue of the King Arthur movie is, oh, it's a table. You sit at it. <laughs> like when he reveals the round table. <laughs> Stupidest crap. Uh, it's, yeah. it, it's such a bad movie. It, and it was a huge bomb, that one. But yeah. um, Sherlock I- Holmes was a huge hit. And... Um, yeah, it, it imagines Sherlock Holmes and Watson as essentially two bros. Yeah. And the big conflict between them is one of them might get married to a woman. Yeah. A, a lot of people read this as to uh, sort of a revealing kind of a, like an erotic relationship between them. Uh, like the queer two of them might, yeah, yeah. might have been, they might have been in love with each other. Maybe they were lovers in the past. Yeah. Various versions um, of Sherlock Holmes have played with that, including at least one that we're going to be talking yeah, about um, uh, today. I don't see it. I'm looking. <laughs> I'm looking for for all of this gay subtext that everybody said it was definitely in this movie. They put it deliberately in the sequel where they have, mm. they're, they're actually like saying sexy things to one another and they're deliberately flirting with one another. Sherlock but Holmes' Game of Shadows. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the, the other guy, Richie film. Um, and they're, I think they're working on a third. Probably. They all like um, money. But yeah, the, the central relationship is now a very bro-y relationship and it's a very masculine film about dudes doing dude stuff. And, uh, the uh, the interlopers are the women, uh, specifically uh, Holmes uh, Holmes Paramore, played by Rachel McAdams. Uh, yes, who is of course um, the great Irene Adler, who is from the uh, originally from the Sherlock Holmes story, A Scandal in Bohemia, mm. and uh, she was rather noteworthy amongst Holmes's early adventures in that she was as smart, if not smarter, than Holmes. Yeah, and that aside from Moriarty, there weren't a lot of those. Uh, mm. And that she was also a woman just gave him like that rare opportunity for a love interest, someone who he could see as on his level. Yeah, and uh, and all, the other um, other woman in the in the story that's sort of coming in between them is mm. uh, Kelly Riley, mm. uh, a British actress who I very much like. I've seen her in, in a lot of English films. She does hasn't made a lot of American films, but yeah, she's really wonderful, and she plays. Mm. Um, Watson's fiance. I think her biggest American role was in that Robert Zemeckis movie Flight. Which oh, yeah, I don't think gave her a lot to do, but she is quite good. Yeah, in she, she has sort of a supporting role in that one. Yeah, yeah. she um, plays uh, her character is named Mary. So, in so what's interesting about this one compared to the other two Sherlock's we're going to be talking about? The other two Sherlock's we're going to be talking about are introducing the character for the first time. Mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes, the Guy Ritchie movie, is very much interested in the lore the legend of Sherlock Holmes, and they're not going to waste time introducing Watson to Holmes. In fact, they've been working together for a long time to the extent that they bicker like an old married couple. Hmm. Um, in fact, they've been working together long enough that Watson is ready to give it up. He is ready to uh, at least quasi retire and live with his new wife and give up fighting crime. Holmes doesn't want that for reasons that Holmes is really not able to articulate very well. And I kind of wish there had been a moment where he had. Uh, And the reason why Watson can't seem to leave is because there is a really big conspiracy afoot. And the conspiracy is this. Mark Strong plays a villain named Lord Blackwood, uh, who isn't Jack the Ripper, but kind of is. <laughs> they don't ever call him Jack the Ripper. No, but he's been like, he killed like the same number of people Jack the Ripper killed. He killed him in a pentagram pattern. He might be involved in a secret society and the occult. He's Jack the Ripper without actually being Jack the Ripper. 
Um, this isn't the first time Sherlock Holmes has fought a Jack the Ripper type character. There's an excellent film uh, directed by Bob Clark called mm. um, Murder by Decree. Oh, okay. Really? Which stars Christopher Plummer as Sherlock Holmes, and it's really good. It's a little long. I think it, it could it pacing mm. drags a little bit sometimes, but it's really atmospheric, and Plummer is a great Sherlock, so I highly recommend it. We're not talking about that in this episode, but I do recommend that version. Um, at the beginning of the film, Sherlock Holmes and Watson catch Lord Blackwood, and Lord mm. Blackwood is executed, and Watson declares him dead. He's the doctor. Mm. And... Unfortunately, in, in a big knock, this is a Sherlock Holmes who gets into fist fights. Yeah, by the way, and in fact, he, he pit fights as a hobby. Yeah, and they they try to make that into so, a mental uh, exercise by showing like mm. uh, the the camera slows down a lot, mm. and then we hear Robert Downey Jr. doing a British accent saying like, "Okay, I'm going to hit him in the solar plexus. I'm going to throw something in his eye. I'm going to crunch him in the mm. cracked rib. I'm going to break the other rib. Mm. I'm going to slap him in the face to distract him, and then I'm going to kick out his knee, right. and he'll tra- take six months to get out of traction." Yeah. So it's 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 him like fight fist fighting Intel- like a chess match. Yeah, intellectual, he's intellectualizing a bar brawl. Yeah, like th- Which this is, is kind of fun. It's it's Guy Ritchie doing Sherlock Holmes, uh, but it is kind of fun. They at least well, it, it's kind of fun. I think it was much more interesting in the sequel when they did that with Holmes and Moriarty, who mm. will show up as the villain in the sequel, mm. played by Jared Harris. Good casting, great casting. Yeah, and and Stephen Fry plays Mycroft, his brother. Also good casting. Yeah, but yeah, the climax uh, but, of Game of Shadows is okay. So we're, Holmes we're gonna, and we're Moriarty gonna, are finally gonna fight. <laughs> and but they're both like doing that same thing where they can kind of like project how the fight's gonna go, and mm. they're kind of know that they're both projecting. Yeah. So they under and they understand before they even have the fight that it's going to be completely futile. <laughs> so they just so, don't so, do it. So there's a slow motion fight, and they realize, okay, and then we both die this way, and we both die this way, and we both die. The- Shit. <laughs> so they just don't. So yeah, <laughs> it's really clever. Actually, it it, it works within it, the it, dynamic that they. It works created. in the dynamic, and it, it's yeah. like a clever way to do that, rather yeah. than just we're going to have Robert Downey Jr. take his shirt off and just beat the tar out of a guy. Which is fun in itself. But anyway, mm. Lord Blackwood, unfortunately, is was only mostly dead. Uh, he ends up breaking out of his tomb, allegedly. and uh, Repla- he's... Replacing his body with another guy's body. Yep, and uh, he told, before he died, he told Holmes that a certain number of people were going to die and that Holmes would be directly mm. responsible for it. So now Holmes and Watson. Watson's trying to, like kind of defend his good name because he's just like, I'm a doctor. I know when someone's dead or not. I have to prove that I, <laughs> that I was right. So they end up investigating with, sometimes with and sometimes competing with Irene Adler, uh, what Lord Blackwood is up to and ends up having a little steampunk technology. Not in like a gigantic, elaborate kind of no, way. Just no, like that that machine didn't exist yet. There's no steampunk tarantula. Yeah, it's not like that. It's not like Wild Wild West. It's just... It's just, oh, someone invented a teaser before anyone else did. Oh, there you go. Like, okay, I, I buy that that could be possible, so I'm not going to fight it too hard. Um, this is a murder mystery British conspiracy story, but it is told with the action sensibility you would expect from a Hollywood blockbuster. Yeah. It is expensive. The production design is fantastic, I think. It's really mm-hmm. just very immersive. Uh, costumes good, is really excellent. Good pr- production design. Yeah. Rotten photography. You think? Yeah, they just washed, they washed out all the colors. The editing yeah. was too quick. You couldn't really take in a lot of that excellent photography. Mm. Or I, excellent uh, production design because of the photography. I really... I think one of the things that makes this movie work... I think the things... There's mm. there's three things that make the movie work. Uh, okay, there's four things that make the movie work. One, Robert Downey Jr. 
All right. He's really good casting for Sherlock Holmes. I think he's got this version of Sherlock Holmes in the bag. He just knows what the character would do. I think Jude Law is actually a good foil for him. I mm. think uh, he understands that although Robert Downey Jr. is stealing the show, he's stealing the show as someone who is inherently pathetic. And as a result, he always has on some level the upper hand, even if he's not the smartest person in the room. I think that's good dynamic. I think they get that right. Rachel McAdams is one of Hollywood's secret weapons, and it's weird that she's been a secret this long <laughs> because she's great in everything. And if you needed someone to like be better than Robert Downey Jr. at everything, Rachel McAdams is great casting. Yeah. The other thing that I think does a lot of the heavy lifting in this movie is Hans Zimmer's score. And this is actually Hans Zimmer's score is something that would carry over into the other Sherlock's we're going to be talking about. Yeah, they all they, kind they of kind evoke of, that sort of yeah. harpsichord. Yeah, there's a lot of lot of yeah. like plinky string sounds and pluck you yeah. know, plucked strings on stringed instruments. Yeah, we was, I was watching this. Uh, I'd seen this a couple of times when it came out, and um, I hadn't seen it in quite a few years. So when I was watching it earlier today, uh, I was watching it with my wife and partner Emma Lapis da Silva, and she pointed out something that I hadn't really thought of, which is. Hans Zimmer's score for this movie is actually eerily reminiscent to, like, The Third Man. If you added a, more a, notes. A little bit. It adds yeah. more notes. That's the thing. Or mm. I think it strips them down. But, like, it's basically just we're going for this sort of atypical mm. uh, um, stringed instrument uh, uh, mm. accompaniment that yeah. is not what you would traditionally consider yeah. to be exciting music. Exciting music mm. you imagine to be brass bands and strand well, like giant t- t- violins yeah, typical and, orchestra the uh, yeah, this I, is this is very playful i'm i'm, I'm some musicians are going to correct me on this but i'm pretty sure it was a dulcimer okay. that they used on the score uh, I believe you. i'm not sure if you know what a dulcimer is it's a big box with strings across it that you strike with little mallets oh. <clears throat> you strike the strings with mallets a hammer dulcimer um and yeah it has has a really great sound and you can play you know really quickly on it mm. um and yeah, that's that's the sort of plinky stringed score, and that's actually something that would show up in the BBC and also in Elementary. Uh, I guess that evokes fast thinking, intellect. Mm. There was a time when fast thinking was represented by really fast piano chords, and I, I actually mm. noticed this in Searching for Bobby Fischer. Oh yeah, there, like there's a lot of like really fast uh, piano arpeggios on the score, if if I'm remembering correctly. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's that's what action Sherlock Holmes sounds like. Uh, Sherlock Holmes is an intellect. The thrill is from watching him deduce, and the deduction scenes are really fun, especially the way they use like a lot of fast editing and flashbacks in the deduction scenes to sort of dramatize how Sherlock Sherlock Holmes is thinking. Yeah, he's taking different pieces and layering <clears throat> them on top yeah. of each other, and as a result, you're hearing dialogue from various parts of the yeah. movie, literally on top of each other, yeah. but you're hearing it in different orders. And now, all of a sudden, plot points are overlapping, even though yeah. they were completely disconnected in the narrative. That's good storytelling. I, it, it's good storytelling. It's good filmmaking. Uh, it's it's a pity that Guy Ritchie didn't feel like he could trust the audience enough because I feel like all of the action schlock was a distraction. Oh, especially I, at the end. It's yeah, and, like, and, and it gets really ridiculous and there's a big chase across a scaffolding at like action movie setting number 14. Like it looks and, nice uh, enough. Like yeah. you get a good sense of height to it. But at the same time, it's like, 
this is over. I don't know why we're still yeah. even talking. We should have gone to the credits by now. Sherlock Holmes doesn't need to climax on a scaffolding where he's punching somebody in the face. It needs to be in the accusing parlor where he ex- <laughs> where he explains everybody's scheme to her. I've, I've gathered you all here for a reason. You know, that kind of thing. I don't mind the fisticuffs uh, because I mm, feel like... Well, fisticuffs, a little bit of pugilism, is fine. <laughs> I know, but my point is this. He does fight crime. He's going mm. to run into rowdy types and he's able to defend mm. himself. I'm fine with there being some action in it. I think that's not the problem. Mm. I feel like the problem is this because this has that blockbuster sensibility, it's got to feel like, okay, the audience has got to feel like they're getting their money's worth. So, like, it can't just be a fist fight with, like, a really tall guy. There's got to be, like, an, an, an anachronistic a, a, taser. And also, he's got to knock the blocks off and, like, send an entire giant ship rolling into yeah. the sea. And I'm like, a fist fight would have been fine. Yeah. Like, I, well, I'm and, fine with all of that. And there's the so much of, gunplay in this movie, by uh, the way, as well, which is sort of... I feel it's kind of lazy. In fact, wasn't that a big plot point in the sequel? Like somebody had invented a machine gun. I think that wasn't the machine. Yeah. Here's the thing about these Sherlock Holmes movies: they're enjoyable in the moment, and as soon as you're done watching them, they're gone. They just they don't the stay plots in are your favorite. brain. Yeah, the like, plot, you remember the I'm attitude, I, and you remember the music. And I think like, that's I'm glad it. I rewatched this because I didn't I didn't remember the plot at all. I kind of remember <laughs> that Mark Strong was in it. Yeah, he's in it a lot. He's the villain. Yeah, he's <laughs> and, actually pretty good as the villain. And I, I like and I like Mark Strong as an actor. It's a pity yeah. that he you know they tried to started putting him in like. What was that awful one with uh, uh, mm. uh, Sasha Baron Cohen? Oh, uh, the Brothers the, Grimsby. The Brothers Grimsby. Oh, that, uh, oh, that, that movie that, that, that's, that's a terrible film. And yeah. uh, he was also like the bad guy in the Green Lantern, or not yet the bad guy in the yeah. Green Lantern movie. He was clearly obvious. They painted him pink and gave him this oversized head. That's because really that's what weird. the character looks like in the comics. But yeah, it's weird. Make him look he like just, Mark Strong. He's he, fine. Mark Strong is one of those actors. He's actually an excellent <clears throat> actor. And if you see him in something like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, you see like mm. what kind of great range he has. But he just has, he's big, he's intimidating, mm. and he's got like a good, deep villain voice. Yeah. yeah. So they want to keep casting his villains and hey, he doesn't seem to shy away from him. Mm. That's a good paycheck. He's a very reliable villain. I'd love to see him like I know he's played a, a wide variety of characters, but now I'd like to see him as like a really friendly character in, mm. in like an American blockbuster. I feel like when uh, we're when we're getting down to what uh, Sherlock Holmes the movie is in terms of how it relates to Sherlock. Mm. And you got to realize that the the other Sherlock Holmes shows that we're talking about, which I think Although this technically came first in this new wave of Sherlock Holmes stories, I think the Benedict Cumberbatch one, and to a lesser extent, Elementary, have sort of supplanted it as the modern Sherlock's. Yeah, well, this is, this had to do the job of making Sherlock Holmes feel new. Well, what and that's it, important. But here's why. Here's why I don't like this particular version of Sherlock. I mean, it's fine. It's entertaining. It's it, yeah. but but like I said, it's vapor. You use yeah. the word vapor. I, I think it's like a uh, three star movie. Like it's it's yeah, it's handsomely it's, produced. I like a lot of the yeah. elements of it. But as a story, it's merely watchable. Yeah, it was a Christmas release. You see it with your family on Christmas just because it's chewing gum for the eyeballs. Yeah. Uh, I I don't like that it didn't. It tried to. It didn't fetishize his intellect enough. Mm-hmm. It tried to show that he was a smart guy, but the cool came from his ability to do violence. His, I, I feel like if Sherlock Holmes, this very intellectual character, is going to get into a fight, it would be one punch. Yeah. It would be his, and he'd take the guy down because he'd know, know like a pressure point or something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it wouldn't be I can like I got a nice ripped chest and I can pummel <laughs> you into the ground. 
they tried to make him like too sexy. And while the deduction scenes were really kind of fun and, you know, they used like some steampunky kind of tech and that's like really, mm. that was kind of interesting when they finally revealed like the scene that I've seen in every cartoon where they draw a pattern on a map to find out where the victims are going to show up. Yeah. It's like, Oh look, if we draw a pentagram on a map, we know where they're going to show up. Really? You're doing the pentagram on a map shtick. Yeah. That I think I saw in the ghostbusters cartoon. <laughs> Yeah, it, it seems like look, they, they, look, they, look, they, look, they shied look. away. It's like a cliche they because it's true. <laughs> it happens so often. Yeah. Like, there are so many serial killers <laughs> killing in pentagrams. Look, it's a classic. Okay, it's, you got to you got to keep it in the set. It's, you know, it's like they 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 weren't smart enough to be smart. <laughs> they they yeah. just they, they couldn't write a smart enough screenplay where it was clever anymore, and yeah. all of the cleverness just fell away. It all became about. Uh, you know, betrayals and you know backstabbings and killing people in a certain pattern that it started to feel really kind of dull. For me, I feel like it's a hangout movie. Like the idea mm. is we're not really going to get to know Sherlock Holmes and Watson or any of their supporting characters terribly well, but it's going to be fun to hang out with them for a couple of hours. And I feel like mm. that's all they're really getting at. Yeah, I feel like that's Guy Ritchie's shtick. We talk about a lot of his like his fast cutting or his multiple overlapping narratives, but when it all comes around to it. He wants to hang out with these people. He thinks it's cool to hang out yeah. at a bar or at a boxing match or whatever with funny people who have just enough toxic masculinity to give him a little bit of a little bit of conflict. Hmm. Like and sometimes a lot more than that. But anyway, um and that's the other thing I don't particularly care for in this version of Sherlock Holmes the, is the toxic masculinity. Well, the toxic masculinity sucks, but like hmm. it's not just that. It's Holmes and Watson, I think they're at their best in this movie when they're an old married couple. The whole idea that Watson is getting married and it's driving Holmes away. that This isn't the first thing that, done, that did that. It won't be the last. The BBC Sherlock would deal with that as well. But this is a movie. It's a standalone. This is the version that we've got. It might be the only version that we get. So when you start there, we don't get to have the fun and games of just Holmes and Watson being Holmes and Watson. Yeah. We get to see them on the verge of breaking up. And that's not as fun as seeing them together. You can't, it's, it's sort of like how Batman v Superman tried to deconstruct mm. Batman and Superman, but we hadn't met that Batman and Superman yet. Well, like we met the Superman, but he had only just really become Superman. Yeah. And we didn't get to see him actually be Superman. Like so decon do, doing Superman stuff so, yet. So deconstructing him and having them like at odds doesn't have the same impact because we never got to see them not be at odds. And so as a result, it doesn't really play very well unless you're looking at it as part of this grand meta narrative of all Superman movies. But if that were the case, it would be like more akin to the other Superman movies, even though Man of Steel was, it doesn't work. My point is it's got a little bit of that mm -hmm. where we're deconstructing the relationship, but we didn't really construct it to begin with. Right. And that's unfortunate. It doesn't kill the movie. I actually like this movie. Again, mm -hmm. I agree it's Vapor. I agree it's it's a good matinee watch. Yeah, I, but I think it's a very fun matinee watch. Yeah, it doesn't bore me. I like the actors a, a lot. I really do like the whole design of the world. And I think the score kicks ass. So uh, the sequel sucks except for the ending in Jared Harris. It's a bad movie. It's a bad movie. The ending is good. Jared Harris is great casting. Everything else about it stinks. I, this I could, one I is pretty good. I couldn't say I don't remember it. Yeah. Um, but uh, this one I think is is good. Not great, 
good. Generously speaking, it's a three-star yeah. film. And I think uh, there, got people a, excited about Sherlock Holmes again, which is true. a good thing. And uh, there is a certain kind of, uh, and, and this is something I've been coming to terms with for most of my life, a certain kind of masculinity that's depicted on film that I've always been uncomfortable with. Mm. This... Uh, Vener- venerating the the violence man mm. uh, is something uh, that sounds. I know venerating sounds very, the violence man sounds like a book of criticism. I want to see. You're, you're right. Venerating <laughs> the violence man ven- by Whitney Sample. Venerate, venerate, venerating the violence of men is is something just that hasn't ever really sat well with me because yeah. I think just at heart I'm I'm a pacifist. It's just a yeah. personal thing about me. So any film that tends to vaunt any element of toxic masculinity without bringing any kind of element of criticism to it uh, mm. is not going to sit so well with me. This is why mm. like revenge films and war pictures don't usually, or, or even Kung Fu movies I can, sometimes rub me the wrong way. I can, I can even be okay with it. If their point is within what we would consider toxic masculinity, there are some people who don't know any other language and at mm. the heart of it, they are, they do have feelings. I feel like yeah. you get that from some of the other Guy Ritchie movies like Lockstock. Maybe, Lockstock, but but yeah, like, if they're shown yeah. to, like, um, there's something uh, in uh, his movie Rock and Rolla, yeah. uh, which isn't talked about a lot, but I think yeah. actually does do a little bit of uh, criticism of that lifestyle. These are, like, yeah. really blokey guys, and they uh, when they realize one of their friends is gay, mm. it's like, well, they're not used to, they're, they're like, so blokey and so straight male that the idea that one of their friends might be gay is something that hasn't even occurred to them. Mm-hmm. And they have to sit and say, oh gosh, wait, oh wait, no, you know what? We we actually need to be better about this. Like, yeah. we actually have a conversation about it. It's like, yeah. we, we're dicks when it comes to our friend. Yeah. And we need to just say, you know what? We apologize. They want to apologize for being as homophobic as they've been. And then, and that's the life, the lifestyle that they have been living and I, with. And I wish it was more positive throughout because then there's also a gay panic bit later on uh, yeah. when Gerard well, Butler thinks Well, they that, realize they're not quite over it yet and yeah. they kind of bring it back as a gag. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate. But there is the, the, something the hom- there. I think the homophobia is part of it. Yeah. At least attempting to be had. Yeah. And I think that, that's, that's, as, that's as deep as we're going to get with yeah. Guy Ritchie, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, uh, and and uh, yeah, I feel like this is one that... It doesn't mistreat the female characters, but it no. does see them as interlopers in the bro world. Yeah, they're seen as cool people, yeah. but they don't get the screen time. Rachel McAdams gets more screen time, and damn if she doesn't look every bit the action hero. Like, I've seen oh, her yeah, kick ass and, like, mm-hmm. defuse bombs and things. It's just like, can we just give her a starring role? What are these fuckers? What the hell? Why are you going to cast her in, like... She's a cap- capable yeah. action actress, and also she's incredibly funny. She's hilarious. In Game Night, yeah. See the movie Game Night if yeah. you haven't yet. Yeah, she the, was great in Mean Girls the, and other things yeah. too. But Game Night, she's next level. The, the, oh no, he died. <laughs> One of the <laughs> funniest things of the decade. One of the funniest things of the decade. But anyway, she's really, really great, and I wish she had more to do. I wish um, uh, was it Kelly Riley. Kelly Riley. I wish yeah. Kelly Riley had more to do because I should think she's really talented. And, and, um, and but it's not from film. from what I understand from what I remember of Game of Shadows, which is almost nothing. But mm. but Kelly Riley's back in that one, yeah. and. Uh, but I believe they treated her like more like this harridan, like this this kind of shrewish character. She gets like I don't remember real that. short end of what, the stick. What I do movie. remember is that Rachel McAdams gets uh, the term is fridged, yeah, which is there, yeah. which is when a female character exists only to die early on in order to motivate the male character to do something. And she's replaced with another badass character. Yeah, Nomi Rapace is, Nomi is Rapace cool, but like at the same time, you had to kill an awesome character. In order to get there, mm. that's, 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 that's not fair. It's, yeah. it's shitty storytelling. Um, Why didn't you do that to Sherlock? 
Yeah. And if Irene's some motivation. I would love to see like Sherlock Holmes dies and Irene Adler has to take over. Yeah. I'd love let's do that. That's a great idea. I want to see that. That's yeah. a good pitch. You know what's a good idea for a movie? It turns out Sherlock Holmes had a younger sister. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's Enola Holmes. Enola Holmes is a good movie. It's I like cute. I like Enola Holmes. I thought it was longer than it needed to be, but I well, liked yeah, it a lot. Um the uh did you ever see there's another really good, very underrated and almost never talked about Sherlock Holmes movie called Without a Clue? It's been a long time. Yeah, um, it's very very cute. If you've never seen it, the, uh, the, the, uh, the shtick is that Sherlock Holmes wasn't as smart as as the stories yeah. because the the conceit of the the Conan Doyle stories was that uh, Watson was the narrator. He was the one who was observing Sherlock yeah. Holmes he and would, writing down his stories. Yeah, every story you read about Sherlock Holmes actually happened, and Watson merely wrote them down and sold them to the newspaper yeah. or wherever they were published. And so, in the movie Without a Clue, Watson, who's played by Ben Kingsley. Uh, has been writing these stories and no one was interested in writing in stories about just him solving crimes. So he got himself uh, a like a, a charismatic leading man. Yeah, and... it's kind of the same premise as that uh, TV show uh, Remington Steel, uh, except without the without a commentary about sexism, which is yeah, unfortunate. But anyway, uh, so he got Michael Caine to be Sherlock Holmes and pretend to be the leading man, even though Watson was doing all the work. And then they split up and Watson is incapacitated. And now idiot Sherlock actually has to do the job. (laughs) And you know what? It's been a while since I've seen it, but if memory serves, that movie's quite good. Hmm. And uh, I do hope more people see that movie. But anyway, Sherlock Holmes was back in the public consciousness. And um, you know what? Even though Guy Ritchie was directing it, he was being, the movie starred Americans Rachel McAdams played an American in the movie, but well, was American. I'm, she's Canadian, but she's well, sorry, but North American. Right. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. not British. Jude Law secondary status. So over at the BBC, Mark Gatiss and Stephen Moffat, who had recently uh, done work on shows like Doctor Who. In fact, I think Stephen Moffat was still on Doctor Who at the time. Mm. Uh, they decided to reboot Sherlock Holmes themselves in. A series called Sherlock. Who are you? What do you do? What do you think? I'd say private detective. When the police are out of their depth, they consult me. Got anything? This is his hunting ground, right here in the heart of the city. Why didn't I think of that? Because you're an idiot. This is my friend, John Watson. Friend? Colleague. That's how you get your kicks, isn't it? You risk your life to prove you're clever. Shut up. I'm saying you're thinking. It's annoying. You know the funny cases, don't you? The surprising ones. Obviously. The game, Mrs. Hudson, is on. Time to play. Oh, I am playing. The name's Sherlock Holmes, and the address is 221B Baker Street. Which took place over a variety of TV movies, and there were initially... I fell off of Sherlock eventually. I've seen a lot of the show, actually. more common in British TV, where uh, there'll be a, a series which is actually... A, for, a made-for-TV movie series. Yeah. So the initial series of Sherlock was actually three made-for-TV movies, each about theatrical length. Um, and then so was the second season, and then they had some specials. And then I lost interest around the time they did, like, the episode that takes place, like, hundred like 150 years in the past, which really sucked. And I well, was like, it, I, it, I just lost track. I just lost Like, when, when Sherlock Holmes, like, the original stories took place? You'd yeah, think that'd but be a no-brainer. You would think, but actually the story they told was yeah. actually really crappy. And yeah. I, well, just, I kind of just didn't want to watch anymore uh, okay. after that. But I did watch a lot of the first parts of the show. And while it was a little hit or miss, I'm mostly a fan of how they handled it. Uh, I was actually very fond of this. This was actually a little bit more of a corker thriller than I expected. Yeah, I expected you, you just saw this for the first time. For the first time. I, I had had no experience with the Sherlock. Um 
this is the first time I ever heard of Benedict Cumberbatch, which I think is true of a lot of people. This mm-hmm. was sort of like his big star making role, big breakout role. And, and boy, does he just pop off the screen. Yeah. He's yeah, perfect and, casting. He's, he's one of the great mm-hmm. Sherlock's and it, it is Dr. Watson. It is Sherlock Holmes, but it takes place in the, in modern day London. Uh, mm-hmm. it's still, uh, they still have a place on Baker street, mm-hmm. but the, uh, the conceit of this first movie, a study in pink, named after a study in Scarlet, mm-hmm. was that they get the flat for the first time and it's just an apartment. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of modernisms, uh, but Sherlock Holmes is brilliant to the point of being socially awkward and mm-hmm. they really roll with that. There's a line, they, I can't remember if it's in this one or not, where um, he's, he will, someone calls him a psychopath and is like, no, I'm a fully functioning sociopath. There's a difference. <laughs> like, so he's very, very hard to deal with and he knows mm-hmm. it. Yeah, he he knows it. Yeah, he's he's clearly on the spectrum, and that's the way uh, Cumberbatch is playing him as yeah. like having uh, being on the spectrum. And uh, Doctor Watson in this one, meanwhile, they give him a lot more backstory. He's actually a returning soldier from the Middle East, who is he was in Afghanistan and uh, is now walking with a limp that uh, Sherlock Holmes informs him is psychosomatic. So he's suffered a lot of war trauma. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, he's trying to get over his past, but what he discovers as he and then and I think it's actually exactly the same as in the original Sherlock Holmes story. They happened to have a mutual friend, and they both needed someone to live with because they couldn't afford. Yeah, they just a place on their own. Yeah. All they needed was a roommate, and it just happened that they were perfectly suited for each other. Where Sherlock Holmes needed someone to talk to and put up with his bullshit, and Watson needed something to do. And what it boiled down to was Watson, played by Martin Freeman, here. And this is Martin Freeman was mostly known for like broad comedy before this. Mm-hmm. It was actually kind of a bit of an about face for Martin Freeman. Um, Martin Freeman cool. needed action. Martin Freeman needed to do something and actually like make a difference. And mm-hmm. he had just kind of settled into his trauma. And the best like, way mean, he decided to get what? out of it was to yeah. work through it directly by encountering yeah, that danger. Is, that is the Watson character. Not, Did I say Watson? You said Martin Freeman. Well, well not, sorry, not, I used them interchangeably. The, not the actor, but yeah. I, been, I meant them interchangeably, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So he ends up uh, meeting Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes always does... In every movie, he does that thing where he meets someone, looks them up and down briefly, and so, then tells so, them everything about their life. Says flip thing, and really fliply. It's like, oh, and, yeah. and then clearly you just left your husband, and you, know, yeah. and you suffered a fall recently. That sort yeah. of thing. Um, that's always a great scene. It's always a little bit of writing. And the key to that scene, if you're ever writing a Sherlock Holmes story, you cannot forget this bit. Without this bit, it doesn't work. He's got to get one thing wrong. <laughs> that, that that's the trick that, that they're going to be corrected on later it's yeah. got to be one thing where he doesn't understand human nature or he made an incorrect assumption that was unkind um in there's a really good movie uh from the 80s called young sherlock holmes i haven't seen young sherlock it's holmes. really good actually i think it was barry levinson did that one I'm, um I'm, from, i know it, it was a big bomb it was a big, i don't yeah. understand why i loved it as a kid and it actually holds up pretty good um mm. But um, uh, in that movie, Sherlock Holmes and Watson meet at boarding school. And Sherlock Holmes is exactly who he would eventually be, except he's at boarding school. And they get kicked out of boarding school, and they have to make a go of it on their own, and they end up... um, Actually, funnily enough, they end up fighting a bad guy who is is like a lot like Lord Blackwood. And in (laughs) fact, this opening like sequence in the Guy Ritchie film where they're going to stop like a cult human sacrifice Hmm. feels like a version of the ending of young Sherlock Holmes... 
So I wouldn't be surprised right. if at least one of the screenwriters was a fan. I don't know if it's an <laughs> well, intentional homage, but or, I wouldn't be surprised. Or they're doing their research and they're looking at other uh, film adaptations just trying try to avoid yeah. what's been done before. But in that one, he meets uh, uh, John Watson and he does the whole reading. And the one thing he gets wrong is he gets his name from his the tag on his luggage. And it says Jay Watson. And he assumed it was James. And it was just like, 50-50. Eh, <laughs> it's probably John or James. Well, also, there was... Uh, on- like an inscription on uh, on what was it the telephone? Mm. Oh, the phone yeah, case. and in Sherlock, yeah, there's a there's a phone. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a uh, an inscription on a phone case, and he makes an assumption about uh, the phone that it gets wrong. He makes an assumption that uh, he got the phone that uh, Watson got the phone from his brother. Actually, it was his sister. Yeah, that's it. Mm. But he's got to get something wrong because he's got to show that he's a little fallible. And, 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 it he, and then Watson he needs oppor- Watson to yeah, yeah. fill in the blanks. He needs Watson to fill in the blanks and also remind him of humanity a little mm. bit. Remind him that he's not perfect, and that really, really helps. And the and the case study in Scarlet is there's been a rash of mysterious suicides uh, throughout London, uh, all yeah. all by the same mysterious means. And uh, yeah. uh, Sherlock Holmes, who is he's like a police consultant. He's not. A, I don't think he's officially deputized. No, he's not. No, he's, uh, but, he just but he does, comes in to he's, help. Yeah, he's like yeah. A free, just a freelance detective who comes in to help out uh, the police, like goes to crime scenes and helps out the police there. Yeah. Um, he shows up at the murder which, scene. Which, and, which yeah. isn't a thing. Yeah. But like, where else yeah. would you put Sherlock Holmes? I don't know. And I yeah. love, and here's the thing, Arthur Conan Doyle invented that shit. That's in the original. Like he was just like, he's a gentleman <laughs> detective who doesn't have any rules to follow. <laughs> um, and also it helps, and, and, it, and it helps that uh, we show the police is as perhaps well-intentioned, but dopes, mm. which is something that is fascinating to me that we see oh, throughout the- all of literature and film and television, and yet somehow we still have this idea that the police are infallible. There's mm. always, like, all of these movies and everything, there's corruption, the, there's the idiots, word, it's fascinating to me. What's the name of the, the cop character in all of these? Uh, the, I think a character from Conan Doyle. Yeah, 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 um, uh, it's... Um, La- oh. Not Lattimore. Um, no, not Lattimore, what? No, uh, what is it? Hold on, I would have known it if you hadn't asked me, and now it's driving oh, me. Okay. Lestrade. 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 Lestrade's the name of the Yeah, guy. Lestrade. Uh, there's a Lestrade character in all yeah. of these. Lestrade is a detective who is usually working the case that Sherlock Holmes is investigating, mm. and whereas a lot of other people in the police force don't trust him, Lestrade knows that mm. Holmes gets it done. He, he, he's like um, uh, Berger from Perry Mason. I never watched Perry Mason. Oh, yeah. Uh, the one who always, the, the lawyer who always loses to Perry Mason in every episode. <laughs> okay. Like, he's a good lawyer, but his job is to lose. He's like the losingest lawyer. He's like the, it's history. like the generals in a Harlem Globetrotter. Yeah, the, or, yeah, yeah, or yeah, the yeah. generals. It's yeah. like, I, I can't I can't speak to the generals as a team, like if they're any good. But. I've I've seen a variety of versions of Sherlock Holmes where Lestrade is like this oafish idiot who's like, oh, that's Sherlock. Mm. I actually really like the way they play him here where he's actually like, I'm really grateful Sherlock Holmes is here. Mm. All I care about is solving the case. I don't care who does it. <laughs> I don't care about the, the credit or anything. I just want to. I just it's want not, people not, not to about get murdered. His pride, yeah. Whereas in the the Guy Ritchie film, he was played by Eddie Marsan, mm-hmm. an actor who plays like weaselly bastards a lot. Yeah, he's actually a very good actor. He's a good uh, actor. Did you ever see the, um, Mike Lee's Happy Go Lucky, where he plays no, like, the, like the angry cab driver? I didn't see that. He's one. excellent in that. That's, That's an excellent cool. movie, and he's excellent in that movie. The thing about the this again, we're only talking about the first episode because we don't have time to watch the entire series, especially for Elementary, which went out for like 150 episodes. Um, so we're only going to focus on the introduction. That's like its own separate thing. Um, the thing about Sherlock that I think I I really respect is that the makers of this show 
went back to the original stories and didn't just adapt them. Mm. They actually played with them so that even if you were familiar with the original stories, you would be surprised. So like there's yeah. a bit at the beginning where they run into the mur- uh, the murder victim. They think it's a, they think it's someone who's killed themselves, but it's actually a murder victim. And they have like written on the floor a word. Mm. And in the original story, if memory serves my, I'm a little hazy on it, but memory serves the original story is they wrote the word, Racha, which is R-A-C-H-E. And the police assume that they wrote the word Rachel. But uh, 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 Sherlock Holmes knows that that's a word in German and it mm. takes him on a whole different path. Whereas in this one, she writes the she writes R-A-C-H-E and the police are like, well, it's a German word. That means, Sherlock Holmes is like, no, it probably means Rachel, you idiots. <laughs> they flip it around a little bit. Just, if you read it, you're a little surprised. It's going in a slightly different direction. That's really fun. Mm. Um, the original story of study in Scarlet is actually, I've read a lot of Sherlock Holmes, but it's actually, aside from the introduction of Sherlock Holmes and Watson and all that stuff is gold, it's actually not great because it like digresses for a really long time to tell you everything about the murder victim. And mm. it's like, I care about them, but we don't need that many pages without Sherlock Holmes. That's a mm. mistake. Um, here it's more focused and we're actually starting to build their relationship between Sherlock Holmes and uh, uh, Watson. There's already a, a bit the, the, of, yeah. The the banter and the chemistry between the two leads is first rate. Absolutely uh, phenomenal. Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman are completely different characters, but they're so good at sort of filling in each other as characters that you understand why they would become really good friends and how they are solving these things together. It's not just... Uh, this kind of wild-minded man and, you know, the fellow chasing after him, which I think was kind of to the detriment of the American version, mm. where it, it, I think it focused a little bit too much on Sherlock and not enough on Watson. Yeah. And Watson this, is and supposed one, to be our, our point yeah, of view. And, yeah. and I feel like we're getting co-leads here, and we understand all of uh, Sherlock's frailties and strengths at once. And indeed, uh, it comes down to a climax where they find the killer, and we understand why he's been doing what he's doing and his his complete M.O. And it turns out his M.O. is a very intellectual one. Yeah, it's actually really twisted. It's Yeah, this really kind of twisted thing where he, uh, he tries to outthink his victims in this really kind of dark way. And he finds exactly where he can get under Holmes' skin. Yeah. And we understand right from the jump that he actually, like, what his greatest weakness is. And it's not one of those things where we should hold that off for like season three or what is the real meaning behind this no, guy? No, we need or, it right away. We, we need it right away because we actually get to see his weaknesses and his frailties and how he feels about the world. And that's actually really important to understanding the character. Yeah. No, I I, I love this version of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. I, I wish it had remained consistent. And for all I know, it got better again later, but I feel like they made some major missteps uh, and they, they just lost me. And maybe one day I'll get back to it and finish it up. But um the initially this is this had such a great run. And this pilot is really good writing. Just everything about <laughs> it's really, really sharp. I love the way they like there's a whole bit where uh Watson gets semi abducted and they take him to meet this mysterious M and you think he's gonna meet Moriarty, <laughs> but it's actually Mycroft. No, and yeah, it's like, actually and, really clever. And for a long time you think it's Moriarty. It's like yeah. Yeah, I'm just the mysterious M and he's this guy in this big warehouse and he yeah. looks like a super villain. He's wearing a nice suit. You know, you don't need to know him. Oh, and I have the same skills as Sherlock Holmes. And and then he just sort of at the end of the episode just walks into frame. Wait wait a minute. This this is a super villain. Yeah, it's my brother. <laughs> I love the way that they handle this one, but this is a very, very good bit. 
I love that this is very much not like what Sherlock Holmes would have been before, but it feels in keeping with this version of the character. Um, Mycroft offers Watson money mm. to spy on Holmes. So stay with him, do whatever he wants you to do. Just tell me what he's up to. And he already is a loyal enough person that he's like, I'm not going to do that. Mm. You can fuck off. And then when he tells Sherlock what happened, Sherlock's like, why didn't you take the money? Just, just take the money. We could use the money. <laughs> just tell me. And well, I'll tell you what to tell him. Who cares? Like, you know, why weren't actually, you thinking, man? That actually brings up an important point. Uh, that Something that I didn't like about the Guy Ritchie film uh, that I did like about this is that uh, Holmes and Watson are impoverished. Yeah. They're not rich guys. They're just living in a flat. They need roommates. Yeah, they need roommates. They this, need money. Uh, they're doing this not out of... Yeah, purely the goodness of their they're not like gentlemen yeah. who are who are solving crimes because they can yeah, and they mention it a little bit like oh we missed the rent a couple of months because mm. watson gambled it away but also they don't really seem to be hurting so who cares yeah well and, and in the guy Ritchie film uh it's sort of an echo of the conan doyle story this sort of colonialist thing it's like ah oh, and i am gifted all these wonderful things because i'm a british man of international man of mystery yeah and uh he's an interesting guy but he's well off yeah and yeah, there's this weird class thing about how he's going into the trenches and uh, kind of ruining the lives of the poor and he's not suffering at all for this. Whereas in this one, they're just working men. And yeah. I, I appreciate that that element of it. Uh, one other thing this has in common directly with uh, the Guy Ritchie film is that Joel Holmes has an arch nemesis. Hmm. It's Moriarty. And I feel like with Batman Begins... When we started rebooting classic heroes, initially the idea was we're going to do a Superman movie. We got to put Lex Luthor in it. We're going to do a Batman movie. We got to start with the Joker. Mm. I feel like with Batman Begins, what they decided to do was we're going to focus on the hero at first. He'll have, they'll have a nemesis, but it won't be like the iconic one who needs to suck up all the screen time. And then we'll build to that with like a tease to their arch yeah. nemesis. And we'll get to that in the sequel. So we'll give you a much more obscure Batman comics supervillain that maybe a lot of people haven't heard of yet. Exactly. And I feel like Guy Ritchie's film did this because Moriarty is in the movie a little. But they're clearly yeah. setting well, we him up him for the shadows. Sequel. We don't see his yeah. face. You we, know. Yeah, he's 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 a mastermind behind some of the things that are going on, but he's not the main villain and he isn't defeated at the end. They set him up for the sequel, Game of Shadows. That's the same here, where we find out that at the heart of this weird serial killer story, there is someone named Moriarty, and it disturbs Sherlock Holmes to know that someone is out there basically doing the exact opposite of what he's doing. <laughs> and without ruining it a, a lot for you, because I hope you do watch some of the show again, I love what the BBC Sherlock does with Moriarty, where yeah. he's a consulting criminal. <laughs> I will oh, like, make your crimes better. Wow. That's a great idea. That is such a good idea. Criminals hire him to yeah. make their crimes better. That's really cute. That's a great idea. I love that. They're, this version of Moriarty, I'm not going to, seriously, you should watch it, but like right. the, their version of Moriarty is really cool. Like, these are like two really class, class act grade A episodes with Moriarty right. on this one. Um, so, uh, so uh, again, I'm a fan of this. At the end, I think the series lost its way after a while, but I didn't finish 
watching it. I've, I've only I'd, seen the first one, and yeah. I, I dug the heck out of it. Would you it. watch more? Love... You think you might? Uh, I, I, mean, I, know, I know time I know, is a factor. I, know, I don't have but time, like, but yeah, the, this, this would be something I'd be interested in. Um, I was looking over what uh, Stephen Moffat had done uh, mm. in Doctor Who, because I watched mm. some Doctor Who. Turns out he wrote the episodes I like. Like, he mm. was writing during the time uh, that I was actually paying attention. Yeah, he was he did the David Tennant, uh, mm. a lot of the better David Tennant episodes, like The Girl in the Fireplace. Mm. Um, and then he took over Doctor Who, and he made some decisions that were not as good. Oh, Turns yeah. out when he was in charge, it wasn't great. He was also responsible, um, and I think Mark Gaddis was too. Mark Gaddis also plays Mycroft. Um was also responsible for uh, that uh, TV series Jekyll, which only had one season. We covered oh, okay. it canceled too soon, which is... That had some interesting conceits in it. Interesting ideas. I don't think it worked, the, the, but the, it was the, When it, it got really stupid at the end, where they had, like, <sighs> sensory deprivation tanks, which were, like, yeah. giving people psychic powers, I and know, yeah, it was all this stupid crap. But, but. Uh, was it James Nesbitt who was the star of that one? Uh, it, it was, um, yeah, James Nesbitt. He was great. Mm. They they knew, they got their casting down, that's for goddamn sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, and here's one that I hadn't seen. Mm-hmm. I, I I've only watched the pilot, uh, and this came out a couple of years after Sherlock had already been established. Yeah, I remember t- 2009, 2010, and 2012. So these are all the, the that's pretty quick. Here. Yeah. BBC had its own Sherlock show, but Sherlock wasn't on a big production schedule. There were only a few episodes a year, if that. So there was room for more Sherlock, and as a result. We got the American television series on CBS, Elementary, starring Johnny Lee Miller and Lucy Liu. Excuse me, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Joan Watson. There are two broken glasses here. You can tell from the volume of shards. Okay. Hey. Base of glass number two. I take it you two have worked together before? You're certain your men have been over every inch of this house? Of course. Just in the safe room. What safe room? One behind that wall. <gasps> Sometimes I hate it when I'm right. <laughs> I'm sorry for your car. I just... Couldn't help yourself. Yeah, I'm starting to see how that's kind of a thing with you. And I remember when this came out, there was a general consensus of why. Hmm. We have Sherlock. It's very good. We don't need another Sherlock Holmes. It seems weirdly redundant and feels like kind of just like a knockoff in principle. And now that we don't need the American version, we don't need the American version. And I think it's fair to say we didn't need any of these versions really. Like we'll still live, but like after seeing the pilot. I like this version. Um, I like it okay. I don't I love it, like, but I, I, feel um, like, I feel like it's got promise. Well, here, here's the here's what we're doing. We're getting um, uh, another Sherlock character who is very clearly on the spectrum. And I think we mm. know a, a lot more about psychology now than mm. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle did. I think if he'd known what so, we know yeah. now, he probably would have made him more clearly. Yeah, so yeah. so we're making that a lot more explicit in these, these modern versions. Yeah. Uh, in this one, he is uh, socially awkward to the point where, like, he can't make eye contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is he is very much on the spectrum in this yeah. one, and to the point where he's more vulnerable in this version, which yeah. I, which I do like. I think that's yeah. an interesting approach to the character. And and indeed, he needs care. Yeah, uh, not he doesn't need a sidekick. He doesn't need a friend. He needs care. He needs he a needs, sponsor. With yeah. Sherlock Holmes has had since the original stories a drug abuse problem, and mm-hmm. uh, he in the original stories he was like I think it was less of like. 
I think it was less of a taboo against it, but he was on cocaine yeah. in the original. And, and there's actually a reference in the Guy Ritchie film to um, uh, Sherlock Holmes using uh, too much eye medicine, like he was rubbing mm. medicine in his eyes. Yeah, just abusing pharmaceuticals. Uh, yeah. And But uh, eye medicine in particular because when cocaine was first developed, it was used as an eye medicine. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, so that's, yeah, that's so, so that was actually a, a okay. little little reference to his cocaine addiction. Right. That's clever, actually. I didn't um, notice that. Um so, uh, mm. so at the beginning of this one, uh, Sherlock Holmes is in New York. He's moved to New York, and um, but he's a British character. He's play, British, played by a British actor. He's still British, yeah. he, but he's moved to New York, and he has just gotten out of rehab. Uh, and he, as part of the condition of his release, with his father, which who usually isn't much of a character, he's spoken of as like, oh, he's dead or he's mm. out of the picture. Yeah, we, we we don't learn a lot about. Apart from his brother, we don't learn about his like lineage or anything. Yeah, except for like you know, in Enola Holmes, we find out he has a sister, and uh, we well, that, we that's, may a, learn... that's a different. I know, we, and, and we might learn a hell of a lot more as this series goes mm-hmm. on. I imagine we would, but we only saw the pilot of this. Um, which again, we're talking about the introductions to Holmes and how those operate. Um, his father, who apparently owns several buildings in New York, so there's once again the well-to-do mm-hmm. Sherlock who doesn't necessarily need money. Not my favorite version, but okay. Here's what we got. Uh, says, okay, it's part of the condition of your release. You get to stay in, in this building, but you have to have a live-in sponsor. And that's where Lucy Liu comes in. Lucy Liu plays Joan Watson, uh, mm-hmm. who used to be a surgeon and now is working as a live-in mm-hmm. sponsor for people getting out of rehab. And that's a major career shift, and it is a plot point. Um, and and the gender flip fine. Is, is fine. Yeah, yeah. it's it's you know, there's nothing that says that Watson has to be... Uh, a male, although um, they're they're both heterosexual characters, Near as, as, we can tell, as far right? as we know, and yeah. uh, I think, uh, and this is to the cynical part of my brain thinking, they did that so they could do like a Mulder and Scully or a Castle or will any, they, any or moonlighting they, yeah. thing, where yeah, yeah. will will they can add some sexual tension between these these two well, straight characters. The opening bit where uh, Joan Watson goes into Sherlock Holmes's building. And she sees him and he's like watching like five TVs simultaneously and they're all at full volume. And then when he, he suddenly turns them off and he turns to her and he gives her this gigantic declaration of love, love at first sight. And it's super awkward. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, I know this is a bit, but also clearly you're doing this in order to establish the possibility of a romantic connection later. Yeah. And then it turns out that what he was doing was it was a mental exercise to prove he could memorize five TV shows simultaneously. And he happened to be watching like a romantic comedy or a soap opera or something Mm -hmm. where someone was saying that. Uh, So it's also kind of showing that he's not interested. In fact, when she enters the apartment, she sees a woman leaving and it turns out that was a sex worker. And he, she talks about like how, oh, okay, so your, your libido's healthy. And he's like, I hate sex, actually. I'm not mm. interested in it, but the body needs what it needs and I have to take care of it or otherwise I'll, I'll get distracted. Yeah, yeah. So it, he's, he's um, I would say he's an asexual character. Largely. Yeah. 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 He certainly doesn't seem to be particularly interested or invested in romance or sexuality. Mm. Um, it, it, it would have been nice if he used the word asexual. Would but, have been yeah. nice. We really need to have more Just like use, direct use, use the, the language have the words. use the words please we like, have the words for these things and it would make them a lot yeah, less was... like it, it, think about how many more people would be like comfortable talking about these things if they were on 
TV characters were saying them all the time. CBS, you know, the the network your dad watches. Like that's that's (laughs) what it is, and and that's that's uh, the network your dad watches goes to uh, one of my biggest criticisms of the show Mm -hmm. is. It, it feels like a dad show. It's just, yeah. This is uh, Sherlock via CSI. Yeah. Uh, and it feels like more like a CSI show than it does a Sherlock Holmes this show. This is, there's a murder, Sherlock comes in, there's a few mm. twists and turns, solves it. The actual murder in this episode, and here's here's the deal. Uh, there's a woman who dies, it looks like it was a home invasion, but Sherlock quickly realizes that yeah, they, they she had her, let they, the person They find her in the in. panic room. They find her body in the panic room yeah. in this posh apartment. Someone had let, she had let someone in on purpose, so clearly she knew the individual. And there's a bunch of clues that lead him to realize mm. that there's more going on here. It can't possibly be the husband for reasons which eventually we'll have to go back on because all, all it's it, yeah. clever enough all t- fine. TV level murder mystery stuff. But it's TV level murder mystery yeah. stuff and that's the thing. This isn't like only Sherlock Holmes could have ever possibly thought of this kind of stuff. Yeah. This is yeah. just pretty observant TV detective stuff and that makes it feel a little more run of the mill mm. and that's hard to listen it's hard to write a good Sherlock Holmes story it's hard to well, be it's hard to write hard, a good mystery story it's hard to write a good mystery story but when your protagonist has to be not just the smartest person in the room but probably the country mm. coming up with something that would realistically challenge them basically means you need to be about as smart as Sherlock Holmes yeah that's hard to do I, I don't sympathize with that mm. I mean I I do I guess I do sympathize with that. <laughs> I, I, I I feel bad for the writing staff who has this high a watermark to hit every mm. single week. Yeah. That's hard to do. So it does feel like a generic TV thing. And frankly, that's a murder. Mm. That There's some twists and turns in it. It's not an unclever murder mystery. But that could have been an episode of Castle. That could have yeah, been well, an episode of Bones. That could have been an episode of CSI. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't see this elementary as being in line with Sherlock, the Sherlock Holmes trend, in fact. Really? It, it it was the Sherlock Holmes character, hmm. and there were Sherlock Holmes stories that were like right before it. But this is clearly drawing on the success of shows like Monk and House. Mm-hmm. This trend in well, TV House is, House is based on Sherlock Holmes. Oh, fine, Holmes. but yeah. <laughs> he's he's House he's, Holmes. He's, yeah, okay. he's, he's a misanthrope who solves mysteries, but they just have to yeah, be medical medical mysteries. mysteries. But th- Robert this, John Leonard is his Watson. It's, this uh, that's the show. But this concept of the uh, the this. Uh, awkward savant who has uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monk was a huge hit. I think it ran like eight or nine seasons. Yeah, it ran a long, long, long time. Tony Shalhoub was great in it. Yeah, it's the reason why uh, USA existed for a while. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like, why do we still have network. USA? We have Monk. Yeah, Monk. All right, that's okay. Right. Fine. We'll tune in. <laughs> How much Monk? All the time. <laughs> it's like Law and Order now. <laughs> Nothing but Monk. It, it only it only ran eight or nine seasons, but somehow we have a thousand episodes. You got Monk. <laughs> <laughs> And that was his catchphrase. He said that at the end. Of the <laughs> you just got murked. I've never seen an uh, episode of Monk. But yeah, th- this idea where we're looking at the Sherlock Holmes myth and understanding that he had a obsessive compulsive disorder, or he was on the spectrum, uh, yeah. was something that was already being explored in shows like Monk. Well, what if a, a detective like that actually existed? They were really, really observant. Uh, well, they might be on the, the spectrum. They would have to uh, hmm. you know, be so focused and so obsessed that... Uh, their their minds would function a little bit differently. They would be uh, you know, atypical. Yeah. Uh, so neurodivergent. Neurodivergent. That was the word I was looking yeah. for. They would be neurodivergent in, in some way. And that's probably something that's baked into the premise of Sherlock Holmes. But they didn't have the language back when Arthur Conan Doyle was writing it. Yeah. So now we're going to have detective shows where we're going to address that. So by the time we got to an American TV show where the, we're just calling that character Sherlock Holmes... 
we had already explored it through other TV shows. Right, but I don't think that's necessary. Here's, here's my one issue with that. And mm-hmm. I, I, you're, I think you're right about everything you just said. Right. More or less. Uh, I think there's a problem that we have sometimes where just because other things, and maybe better things, but just because other things came first, we start to tune out the stuff that comes later. And I well, think I'm, I'm, I'm not saying you're doing this, but I do mm, think it's something that's worth talking about yeah, because I'm, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to identify a trend here, and, yeah. think, and I'm saying that this new Sherlock Holmes is a, denotes a different trend rather than necessarily the Sherlock Holmes trend. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I do think it's part of the Sherlock Holmes trend, and I mm. think the trend you're talking about stems initially from Sherlock Holmes, mm. maybe the original stories, and then you know the current trend. But regardless, it it all comes from the same place. It just branched, and then it kind of came back together again. Um, but again, I think the, the trap and I fell into it just with, by, without thinking, just by like, when I heard they're making elementary, I was like, why Mm. is just because it came second or third. Mm. And even if it's not as good as the original, that doesn't mean it's bad. Mm. And this, again, it's a pilot and a pilot is a tough thing to do. You have to tell a complete story that gives you an idea of what every episode is like, but you also need to find time to introduce all the characters in a satisfying way. That shows you the promise of the whole show. Mm. It's harder than it might sound. So I'm sympathetic to that. The mystery itself is just okay. And that's true for any murder mystery show. There are episodes of BBC Sherlock where the murder mystery itself is not the highlight. Mm. Their Hound of the Baskervilles episode is not good. Oh, okay. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> it's, it's a shame. It starts out pretty good and then it just goes into weird-ass directions and I don't think it works. But... The important thing is that even if the story isn't amazing, there are the characters you want to follow so that you get to the next amazing episode. And I feel mm. like that was the X-Files is like that too. For every season of the X-Files, there's more than a handful of stinkers. Or at the very least, <laughs> generic Monster of the Week episodes, yeah, which are yeah. just pretty disposable. Who cares? But it's worth it because eventually you're going to get to Clyde Bruckman's final repose. <laughs> it's worth it because you're going to get to War of the Corporate Phages yeah. or some, some other classic episode. So... This pilot doesn't feel like a classic, but what works for me here is I think Lucy Liu is good, but we don't get a lot with her yet, and I would like to see her more of her. I really like Johnny Lee Miller's take on the character. I like his idea mm. of, and they don't get into it, I assume they eventually would, but the implication is that this is a version of Sherlock Holmes that is suffering from some sort of post-traumatic stress. Something really bad happened to him. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a maybe it's a satisfying plot point. Maybe it sucks. I don't know. But he's not confident in the way other Sherlock's are. He mm-hmm. knows how smart he is, but he's also prone to flights of rage. There's a scene in the in the show where the bad guy he knows he did it. The bad guy knows that Sherlock knows he did it, but he also knows Sherlock can't prove it. And Sherlock just decides to ram his car with Watson's car. And there's a fun <laughs> bit where Watson says, I, listen, I, I don't know you very well, but I know you well enough to know that surely you had a very good reason for doing that. Maybe mm-hmm. that would really, you have no reason for doing that. That was just blind rage, wasn't it? He's like, yeah. <laughs> like, so he's, he's got a lot mm-hmm. going on, and I really love Johnny Lee Miller's wounded approach to the character. Yeah. And you, mm-hmm. you talked about yourself, how he just seems kind of shiftless and... Uh, nervous a lot of the time mm. and his struggle to connect with Watson isn't just I'm confident that I can make do with whatever it's like 
when they're like hanging out on the roof of their building and he wants to like tell her about like I'm 19 chapters into this book about bees that I'm mm-hmm. writing. Do you want me to tell you the last few paragraphs? And you can tell like he really wants to tell her the last few paragraphs, but then she changes the subject and he's like, ah, oh. I like that character. Mm. So I would watch probably some more episodes of this show just to see, hopefully the, the mysteries get better, but I would just like to spend more time with this Johnny Lee Miller version of the yeah, character. And I, mean, I think that's what really helps it is again, it's all the same Sherlock, but there's the unflappable sort of uh, almost Roger Moore like heroism of Robert Downey Jr. There's the uh, extremely charismatic, but like borderline like, sociopath yeah. yeah borderline sociopath benedict cumberbatch which is also a very compelling version of the character and then there's johnny lee miller's i want to take care of him <laughs> and i think that's a good approach mm. and that makes me want to see more of him so i do think that they they all handle the introduction of sherlock in different ways mm. one is trying to sort of resell you on the idea of sherlock holmes this isn't like some you know character who created 100 years ago who is irrelevant now so we're just going to make it all badass. Mm. Another one that I think is probably the perfect fusion of the old and the new. Mm. We're going to take the old stories, but we're going to adapt them a little bit to the present day and really try to capture the original flavor while also make it feel very modern. And one that's the standard procedural, which is the genre that Sherlock Holmes kind of helped invent mm. every week a new mystery with a good, strong grounding in two characters. So mm. I dig it. I, right. I dig them all to varying degrees. I think the um, BBC of, version is the best, yeah, at least the, initially. The, it was definitely my favorite of the three. Yeah. And, and it, Guy Ritchie's blokeness kind of put me off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, the, the sort of typicality of the, the TV, the, the American TV murder mystery vibe I was getting from Elementary uh, kind of distracted me a lot. Sure. I like the characters more than I like the show. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think I just like the characters enough that it got me okay. by, but... Um, and then the last question we want to uh, talk about before we move on is Sherlock. This was asked uh, by our by our mm. patron. Is Sherlock Holmes the most influential mm. fictional character of all time? I think that's an interesting question, mm. in part because of how it's worded. But I want your take on it um, before I go into my uh, own rant. I would say the most uh, the most influential fictional character of all time might be something a little bit more classical, like. Uh, like a medieval uh, character like Everyman. We still use the word Everyman to, to describe a certain type of character that's named after a play. Oh, I actually didn't know uh, that. Oh, yeah. This oh. medieval morality play called Everyman. That's where How we get I the term. Yeah. How did I not know that? That's a, I have to look that up. Thank you for letting me yeah, know about yeah, that. Yeah, it comes from uh, Christian fiction. But, um, writing that down. I had no idea. Uh, so that a character like that, something that goes back a lot farther, is going to be just by dint of its age, maybe a more influential uh, fictional character. Mm. Uh, Sherlock Holmes is uh, influential on what we now call the crime genre. Yes, uh, and any detective fiction that you're going to be reading, uh, pulp novel, uh, anything from a pulp novel to a classical mystery, mm. uh, to you know, a lot. There's a whole uh, subgenre of. Um, reimagining historical events as murder mysteries. Um, All of those owe a debt of gratitude to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and to Sherlock Holmes. Because what we think of modern deduction and modern uh, detection, all like a lot of that comes from Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. 
Uh, sure, Arthur Conan Doyle didn't invent detection. No, he didn't invent uh, detective stories nor did, either. Yeah, but nor he did, did he invent he, detective fiction, he but he kind of popular, he codified yeah. a very certain kind of detective fiction that is still being exploited to this day. So yeah. um, he kind of invented a genre, the, this character, yeah. Conan Doyle and the, the character. And mad props for that. Like, mm. That's hard to do. Yeah. There are thing about there are very few people you can say like you can point to and say they invented a genre like yeah. George Romero invented the zombie genre, mm. Jackie Chan arguably invented the kung fu comedy, but even that's like a subgenre. Like yeah. it's hard to it's hard to do. Um, that's interesting. That's an interesting point. And I think yeah, on the crime fighting genre, not just detective genre. Hmm. I think the crime fighting genre. I think the, it's tricky because it depends on what you rely on when you use the word fictional. Hmm. I was having this conversation with uh, my wife and partner, M. Lapis da Silva, and we were talking about mythology and how a lot of people look say that, like, oh, superhero movies are like our modern mythology. Hmm. And we were like, no, they are not. <laughs> because mythology isn't just a bunch of fictional stories that you like or look up to. Mythology is something people used to actually believe happened. Yeah, yeah. It, They might be larger than life, but people believed them. And... There are modern mythologies, but they're not things that are presented as fiction. Mm. They're things that are presented as stories that are true. The, so like, the, like, the, like George Washington saying, I cannot tell a lie. Mm. That's mythologizing George Washington. Yeah. People actually believe that that happened. Probably didn't. But people believe that. So that's or, mythologizing yeah, the, the father of this country. Even mm. calling him that is mythologizing. Yeah. Newton and the apple tree. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, a that's a myth. That's yeah, yeah that's that's yeah. most certainly apocryphal. And, yeah. and we see this happening today. You look at something like uh, the way some people treat Donald Trump, where we're going to paint pictures of him in like Arnold Schwarzenegger muscles, like oh, punching God, out his yeah. political opponents. That's mythologizing him. That's making him larger than life. QAnon is mm. a myth because yeah, a lot of people man. really believe that. A lot of people believe. And the, these people are larger than life and are heroes that are going to save them. Mm. There are very few people who aren't little kids who believe that Gotham City is a real place and Batman lives there. That's not the same type of thing. Right. So a part of me wants to say, like, who is the greatest fictional character? I would go to myth. Mm. Look at something like, again, you want to look at like someone who had an even bigger, uh, perhaps, uh, role to play in the crime fighting or heroism genre? Look at Hercules. There you go. Or Heracles. Mm. But... People used to believe that that was a real guy. Like people, that was part of like a system of belief. It, so it, it was it was um, more closely folded into the culture. Yeah, and you could say that like Batman is a figure from our culture, but mm. that's because we live in sort of this capitalist culture that believes in product. Yeah. So uh, only in that way is he important to a culture. He's important in like how how word of how he's like spread by word of mouth economically more than what he represents as a figure uh as you know to the national character right and then there's just the really uh uh and you can look at like any character who's been mythologized like okay and I, i'm not trying to like be controversial here but i'm an atheist mm. um there are near as i can tell historical records to say that jesus christ was a real guy but the stories that we tell about Jesus Christ feel like they might have been exaggerated a bit to me. Well, and indeed, However, uh, a lot of people if, believe that they're 100% real and that's exactly what happened. Well, if, if you look into sort of the, the literary history of the New Testament and yeah. who the authors were, if you look at it as a work of literature, yeah. uh, the, the Gospels as a work of literature, then yeah, you see that what the mythologizing is, mm -hmm. what was true. Like if you compare the four Gospels, mm -hmm. it's like four takes on the same material written at different times. Yeah, exactly. Uh, then you, you actually do get some truths and they're like 
their actual historical yeah. records to prove uh, you know Jesus Christ, was Christ, really Christ is a figure. Yeah. Real guy said he, some uh, cool stuff. Yeah. Like he, he wasn't stuff. he wasn't an earth shattering figure at the time, so mm-hmm. he's actually only mentioned like in passing and a few right. other like Roman uh, texts. Yeah, but the mythologizing but, yeah. took over and he became yeah, a larger yeah. than life figure. And again. I'm not trying to say, tell anyone that mm. if, if that's your religion, that what you're believing is, is wrong or fictional or anything like that. But if you look at him as a character in a story, yeah, that's mm. probably number one in terms of influence, at least in the Western society. <laughs> but if we're looking the, the, at the, the God version of Christ. Yeah, exactly. So like that's, that's, a, that's its own thing. Mm. So if you, if you wanted to really parcel out all of that, there are other hmm. people who are as influential, if not more so. Um, but when it comes to fictional characters, point to one fictional character and say they're the most influential. Hmm. I think Sherlock Holmes is up there. I, don't, I, don't, yeah, I, I think he's I think, like Tarzan, I think, like Dracula. I would say Dracula yeah. more so than even Tarzan. I would well, say especially Franken, in, in I would the... say Frankenstein actually hmm. might be a little bit more influential in that. Uh, not only did I mean the horror genre existed, but he. The Frank character of Frankenstein helped codify the sci-fi genre, the horror genre. Mm. Um, it helped sort of humanize monster characters. Um, and created when, zombies as we come to know them. The living uh, dead walk amongst us. And mo- modern yeah. views of scientific philosophy as yeah. well. Yeah. The idea, yeah, looking at modern science from a moralistic perspective. Mm. Looking at it from a male perspective. This is what men do. Like, again, it's written by a woman. It's worth remembering. Um, this is what men do because they can't have birth. Yeah. And like, there's, there's a lot going on there. And so I think I, I might give the edge to Frankenstein. <laughs> okay. Because I think there's a lot of people who are, who are thinking about that and paying homage to that without even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like there's a lot of people who are telling stories, probably not crime fighting stories and certainly not detective stories, but there's like a lot of stories that probably unintentionally or without thinking about it, involve Frankenstein because they're in the sci-fi horror genre mm-hmm. uh, in a very general way. Whereas Sherlock Holmes, I think more people are doing it kind of consciously yeah. or they're at least aware of his existence and they're trying not to do it consciously. Yeah. So maybe I give the edge to Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. But certainly there's a great argument to be made for Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes, yes. Um, Frankenstein, yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, let me have Falstaff. <laughs> Falstaff is great. Yeah. Is, is he really influential? Though? That's my question. Um... I mean, uh, if you've ever seen a comedy sidekick character, <laughs> have you ever seen one? Yeah, enough, he's pretty influential. Shaggy and Scooby. <laughs> yeah, Eddie Izzard famously uh, referred to it in one of her routines about um, how uh, Shaggy and Scooby are like, they're cowards and you're with them, and there's no other characters in literature that yeah. behave that way. Like, you're a heroic coward. Heroic right? cowards, it's yeah. It's not a so, common character. And uh, somebody mentioned Falstaff. It's that level of greatness. Shaggy and Scooby and Falstaff are right <laughs> next to each other. Well, it's easy. You, it's easy. It's tempting to go back to Shakespeare uh-huh. and say, to yourself, okay, well, surely Shakespeare had. But, like, if you think about it, like, who, uh, what other characters in Shakespeare are ubiquitous? Romeo and Juliet, the doomed romance genre. Yeah, there you which, go. Which, again, didn't invent, but... Yeah, she codified it. Shakespeare invented a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, and then uh, let's see, you have Richard the uh, Third, yeah, which the, kind the, of typified the, the, the scheming, the the, the villainous un- ruler. Yeah, yeah, the vi- person who will like do anything to take down everyone in their past. So those mm. are really influential characters. Um, I'd be curious, um, and I encourage everybody to write in. Uh, our email address is letters at critically acclaimed.net. Um, especially if it's a character we haven't noted, but even if you just have a, a, a strong argument you want to make. Who do you think is the most influential character in fiction? In all of fiction. 
Yeah. Can't be too recent, otherwise we can't really see their influence. Like we need to have like I would say they've got to be at least well, a couple at least a couple hundred years old. I would say at least one hundred years old. I think okay. one hundred is is because we see people start to dwindle after a while. But like if they've been around for a hundred years and they're still relevant and they're still influencing people, at least worthy of of mention. But I would say less than a hundred years, too soon. Too soon, give it some time. They might be influential recently, but over the we're looking at the grand swath of history. I would be very, very, because I know we have a lot of people who come from, like, different perspectives, different walks of life, people who yeah. know about different histories, people who know about different uh, art forms. You, you I would and, love yeah. to hear from you. In fact, you and I are going to just uh, European literature, for yeah. instance. That's, uh, that's yeah, what we know. Yeah, we, I, would, I would love to know a few, um, like, from, uh, from like, uh, an ancient figure from Chinese literature. Yeah, or, or Japan, or, or, or Africa. Or, or Middle Eastern or, yeah. literature. Like, we, yeah. we didn't even mention Gilgamesh, you know, way older yeah. than Christ, even. Uh, so, uh I'm not sure if we could call like Gilgamesh influential in that it's just the first story, like the oldest story we know. Well, the Odyssey, you know, this yeah. whole story of the journey home. Yeah, but, we, uh, but that's more of a framework than the, specifically the character of yeah, Odysseus. Yeah, like o- I feel. Odysseus. Well, you can make an argument for Odysseus for certain. Sure. But, yeah, um, yeah. Um, but anyway, we would love to hear from you. So we can say that that email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We would love to hear if there is a character we missed or maybe someone who is. Uh, maybe less commonly talked about. Uh, again, a lot of the characters that we mentioned are men. A lot of the Western uh, literary tradition is very male centric. Yeah. And that's yeah. bullshit. Uh, so let us know if you think there's uh, any yes, other characters sir. at all who deserve that mention or deserve that title, or at least mm. deserve to be in the running. Yeah. Um, please, we think it'd be a fascinating conversation. Uh, letters at criticallyacclaimed.net is the email address. We want to give a very special thank you to Eric Fusco for supporting the show. Uh, for giving such a great prompt. This has been really, really fun. I, I love Sherlock Holmes as a character, mm-hmm. and it was really cool in particular to finally see uh, the pilot episode of Elementary, which I had somehow missed. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad you enjoyed the BBC one. I, I did, yeah. yeah. And I'm glad I revisited the Guy Ritchie film because I had forgotten. <laughs> it's like just, just gone out of my yeah. head. So yeah. now, now, I, now I can answer a Schmodown question or two. <laughs> Perfect. Mm. Perfect. Thank goodness. Um, so uh, once again, uh, if you want to uh, join up, our Patreon is patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, we have a variety of tiers, and at every single tier, there are a lot of exclusive stuff, like exclusive shows, commentary tracks. Uh, even at $1 a month, you get to vote for future episodes of every one of our, well, not every one of our, but a lot of our podcasts. Um, so uh, all, everyone who supports the show, thank you so much for your for your contribution, for your time. We know we make a lot of shows. <laughs> And also, I know that we don't make enough shows, so we're sorry. We're trying to pick up the pace and make more for you, uh, but we will. We make too, too much and not enough at the same time. How do we do that? I don't know, but we're gonna we're gonna keep doing it. Um, so uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, if you like soap, head on over to Etsy. Salt Cat Soap is the name of our Etsy store. Me and M. Lapis da Silva. We have a whole bunch of soap designs that we recently dropped for the month of April, including two that were designed by me. Including, oh, hey. a, including a shave bar, uh, which lathers up real nice. It's great for shaving. It's all I'm ever going to use for shaving from now on. It's And I know I don't look like I shave. I, I tidy up. <laughs> like, I haven't I haven't completely gotten rid of the beard in, like, ten years. But, like, I, I tidy up. Trim and shape. And, yeah, you know. I, 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 I make it nice. Um, but anyway, the, that's available now in a whole bunch of other really nice designs uh, by M. Lopez Silva in particular. So I hope you enjoy them. Um... And, um, yeah, we got other podcasts. Hope you like those. Patreon. Mention that. 
And uh, you're nice. If, if you like, uh, if you like radio dramas, buy them from me. You should. Yeah, yeah. Whitney has written a couple I, of radio dramas already. And, and the pandemic has sort of slowed production on those things. Yeah. It probably would have made more had I the chance. But uh, yeah, well, yeah, take care of the fam. I, yeah. I, you know what? I'm, I'm on the roster. I actually have my, uh, my vaccination coming up. I Great. Finally scheduled one. So uh, once everything's vaccinated and I can get together with friends again, and my son's back in school, I can write and make some more. So I'm um, looking forward to that. But yeah, I cur- I have made three, and uh, you can buy them directly from me. Mm-hmm. If you're a patron, a patron at the twenty dollar level, you get them anyway. Yeah, just make uh, sure you give it a search on the Patreon page. Yeah, they're a bit um, further back down the menu now, but they're yeah, there. Uh, I made, wrote yeah. one called "The Tenth Muse." I wrote one called uh, "Love at Nana," and I wrote one called "Determined." Uh, Ten bucks a piece. Yeah, twenty five for the three. <laughs> just yeah, just just uh, it's a bargain. Just contact me via any of the social media, and they're really good. One to you. They're really good. A lot of people mm-hmm. really love them so far, and. Um, you should be very proud. I'm proud of oh, you. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I haven't done anything creative in a while, and I except I guess I made some soaps. I was about to say you're, I mean, I, you're inventing soaps. That's you know creative. what? You know what? You know what? I sell myself short sometimes. I I, I created some soaps, and I feel very proud of them. Mm-hmm. So, um, I guess that's what's going on. I didn't create anything as long lasting and influential as Sherlock Holmes. So, but well, I think you, it did you don't know that yet. You'll, I guess we'll, I don't. We'll know a century after you die. I guess not. So, thank you, everybody, once again, and uh, until next time. You're critically acclaimed. And so are you. And you. And you. <laughs>